Welcome to another episode of the Final Girls podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. In this first series, we're bringing on special guests to dive deep into film and TV shows with witchcraft at the heart of them. I'm Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. In this episode, we're going to be discussing all things Sabrina, with a deep dive into the new season of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which lands on Netflix today. I'm joined by Melissa Thomas, editor of Screen Queens and fellow Sabrina fanatic to go into spoilerific detail about the witchy business going on in Greendale. Part 3 finds Sabrina reeling from the harrowing events of Part 2. Though she defeated her father Lucifer, the Dark Lord remains trapped within the human prison of her boyfriend Nick Scratch. Sabrina can't live with herself, knowing that Nick is burning in hell. So with an assist from her mortal friends, the Fright Club, that's Harvey, Rosalind and Theo, Sabrina makes it her mission to free him from eternal damnation. However, the Dark Lord's unseating has sent shockwaves through the realms, and with no one on the throne, Sabrina must assume the title of Queen of Hell to defend it against the challenger, Caliban. Meanwhile, in Greendale, a mysterious carnival rolls into town, bringing with it a threat to the Spellmans and the Coven. That was the plot summary of the series, and let me tell you, it barely scratches the surface. If you're a fan of the show and you've watched the first two parts already, we'll be talking generally about the chilling adventures of Sabrina at the beginning, and we will warn you when we go into spoilers for the new season. If you haven't seen the show yet, go on, treat yourself. It is Friday. Thank you so much for doing this, Millicent. Um, we were talking about this earlier, but I found it astounding that so very few people that I know were watching The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and I found it completely unacceptable. So I'm really glad completely. that we found each other. Yeah, everyone who doesn't watch Sabrina should be put in prison immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's an offense. Honestly, I have like two friends that watch it, so I have to just send them all my memes and then no one else appreciates them. Well, you can send them to me now. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, I wanted to kick off kind of to go a little bit further into the past and just ask, what is your relationship with Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Did you used to watch the show when you were younger? And were you excited about the reboot with the chilling adventures of Sabrina? Yeah, I, I think I did watch the show when I was a kid, but I must have been like, I think it was the late 90s. So I was like four years old or something in 2002. And I remember watching it on Nickelodeon. And it was just kind of that like, trashy colorful kind of teenage um kind of serials that you put on in the background like it reminded me a lot of unfabulous when I was like in my teens which was kind of more recent but I remember seeing the trailer for this and I was just like yep that is Sabrina that is what I want because when you think witch you think of all the kind of like gothic fun sexy stuff and that kind of old Sabrina was amazing but it was more like I don't want to not say it's a bad thing but like surface level like it was a lot of just like fun stuff like changing your clothes and broomsticks but this like gets really like into the meat of witchcraft Mm -hmm. which I feel like is a lot more exciting especially now because it's like witchcraft is like a whole thing these past few years like there's a million books on it now. So we're going to be mainly talking about the third season that's landing Mm -hmm. at the time of this podcast release literally now. But what did you think about this new darker, gothier 
Riverdale-esque sort of approach to Sabrina. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was perfect. It just seems to marry together so well. Um, I think it's all down to Kian and Shipka, though. I don't think they could have done it with anyone else. Because um, I remember seeing the first trailer, I was immediately like, oh, my God, I have to get like obsessed with this. I go through like fleeting obsessions where I like put everything into something and then I drop it and move on. So <laughs> when I saw the trailer for this, I went and like I bought all the comic books. Uh, I started reading them all and I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. How didn't I know this existed? And especially with Archie comics, there's this whole kind of um, like horror creature feature kind of spin-offs of the Archie comics. And now I'm currently obsessed with Vampironica, which is Veronica from Riverdale, but she's a vampire hunter. And there's this whole other world where all the Archie characters are like zombies or vampire hunters or witches. And it's amazing. And it works so well. <laughs> yeah, there's this whole other universe, which is much darker. And I know there's a comic book where Jughead is a zombie. And I think it's this sort yes, of... Jughead the hunger. Yeah. And there's this whole uh, universe that the creator of both Riverdale and the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, uh, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, has made, where it's teenage, but dark, but very dark, and kind of mm-hmm. playing on old school monster tropes. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm waiting for the moment where they introduce vampires and zombies into Riverdale. Um, yes, but, <laughs> but, you know, maybe season, maybe season five, who knows? But with Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, I don't know about you, but it really struck me just how deep into the they satanic bits of witchcraft they went. Because you're right, kind of the 90s Sabrina, which, you know, didn't make me feel older at all. But I did (laughs) I did used to watch as a as a as a preteen. I remember it just being very fluffy and poppy and you know there's a talking cat. It's very bright, it's very 90s sitcom, it's very much kind of a teenage show and there's magic bits in it. But the main gist mm-hmm. was the teenage drama of, does Harvey like me? My friend is annoying, kind of, you know, <laughs> all of these things. But Sabrina, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina kind of really goes into, oh, no, you have to promise your soul to Satan in order to have yeah. your powers. They literally waste no time with that. They're just like, yeah, here's Satan. And like you said, um, the original is so like, bright and fluffy, which I think is like the perfect way to describe it. But I think both work in their own right. But yeah, this one just wastes no time and get into the meaty stuff. <laughs> and how do you think it sort of fits into the witch canon in a way? I know I'm making that up, but I'm I'm committed to it now. <laughs> um, kind of the canon of cinematic and on-screen witches. You know, we've got everything from Sabrina to Charm. But yeah, what do you think kind of about how it fits in into the way we have seen witches be presented on screen before? Honestly, as soon as he said Charmed, I just had like some crazy flashbacks because me and my mum used to watch that obsessively when I was little. Like literally when I got home from school, it was Ghost Whisperer and Charmed like on repeat. Um, And I used to be obsessed with Paige and just like the sisterhood of it all. And I think, I don't know, I think it's very similar to Charmed, but like you said, a lot darker, but we've still got the kind of witches and warlocks and these witches together in one place. But I think making this, uh, it's all teenage, which I don't think is particularly new. Like you say, we've got the craft and everything, but like kind of spreading out into different schools and different lives. Like you've got the moles and the witches and the warlocks. 
I think it's made it's kind of spread witch canon out if if you want to call witch canon I think it's just made it really like big like it's almost world spanning now especially in season three we literally go all over the place Mm. and I definitely like to new seeing it like grow more because you know we've met different types of demons and historical figures and I'd love to just know all types of all creatures in the witch canon and their relationships and I find that so interesting absolutely agree with you I think that's the thing that really the visuals really hooked me Kieran Shipka the rest of the actors absolutely amazing the flirtation with the occult very explicitly so was kind of really quite shocking in a to a degree like obviously you know I I grew up watching constantly films like The Craft and so on and kind of that sort of late 90s, early noughties, goth stylings. And this seems to be coming back, but kind of very much adjusted to a a much more progressive and open-minded way of thinking, much more politically engaged. Tone of it felt even a lot more darker. And the world building, there was just so much stuff going on. It felt a lot more akin to like the wizarding world of Harry Potter than Mm. something like the 90s version of Sabrina, which is very, very very, you know, kind of network sitcom based where you've got the house, you've got the high school, you've got the two rooms of the high school where you film. That's as far as you go. That's the whole yeah, world. Is, like, is there like a laughing track and everything? Like yeah, there is. Style sitcom? Yeah. Let's move on to the specifically the, the third season. Overall, kind of top level thoughts. What did you think of it? I thought it was a lot. <laughs> Like, it was so much. I think uh, I watched it over three days. I've had Mm -hmm. to, like, take it in chunks due to uni and stuff. And I think I finished my first chunk of watching it at the end of season four, uh, not season four, episode four. And I was like, that feels already like it's been a whole season worth of stories. So much happens. They literally waste no time. There's no, like, sluggishness or kind of slow moments, which I guess can be a bad thing sometimes. But, like, overall... I just think, you know, they went balls to the wall. They just said, screw it, let's do everything. I think the budget must have doubled. The production value was unbelievable. And I think it's my favourite season of the three, for sure. I think so, too. And similarly to you, I had to dose it out. Because I remember binging in a day both the previous seasons. And this one felt like so much was going on. And it felt very heavy. And, you know, we'll get into kind of the the spoilery bits later on, but the last third of the season, I I couldn't tear myself away. I was like, I need to, I need to finish this immediately because I I need to know. That's just... That penultimate episode, that like second to last one, I was literally on the edge of my seat. I was like yelling at the screen like, oh my God. (laughs) Oh, I literally screamed. I... (laughs) I watched it with my boyfriend, who is also a massive Sabrina fan, and <laughs> I could not, I literally could not stop. I was like, we have to watch the next one. It's, it's, it's going to be unacceptable if we stop now. It's just, it cannot happen. But kind of digging into a couple of the bits, how do you think Sabrina as a character has evolved in this series? Because a lot of the first two is kind of very much her battling between the two worlds uh, with her own duality. Is she a mortal? Is she a witch? Can she be both things at once? Trying to marry those two worlds. And here we meet her and she's kind of fully, fully embraced and thriving in the witch world. It's interesting because that first season really kind of had that anchor 
in it was just her dealing with these two worlds that are very apart and then in obviously season two they kind of merge a little bit more she starts to tell her mortal friends about it and there's kind of a coming to terms with the acceptance of these two worlds as one and in this one I feel like it doesn't have that anchor in Sabrina that we did have it's more just kind of like she's very comfortable with the idea of like hell and satan being her dad i think satan being her dad got glossed over maybe a little bit too quickly because now she's just like oh yeah well i'm the daughter of satan no big deal um but i love it i I don't mind it at all i totally love it but it's definitely i think it's more fun now because we can kind of relax and explore the supporting characters and the wider world of hell and heaven and their relationship with the mortal realm rather than just like is Sabrina gonna be a witch or is she gonna be mortal? Now that we know she is what what she is, it's fun to kind of explore her place in the wider world. Mm. And talking a little bit about Satan, because this season really builds from the first episode the hell and the demonic, like actually mm-hmm. what the demons are doing, kind of satan who at this point at the end of the previous series was sort of placed in you know a flesh jail let's just say that kind of imprisoned in the (laughs) in the body of nick and mrs boardwell who's revealed to be lilith is kind of now madam satan and the queen of hell what do you in general make about the way that the show embeds itself with not just the occult but the satanic and the idea of the devil and the idea of hell as something that's intrinsically linked with witches? I think it was really interesting because all my favourite parts of season three were related to hell and um, all the kind of little quests and journeys that she goes on when she's down there. And just like the look of it was amazing as well. Mm. But um, I really loved Madame Satan and the idea of Lilith being queen. I really, really like that we explore more um, Lilith's relationship with hell because obviously we know that she's not a fallen angel or a witch. She's literally just like her own thing and her kind of commanding things down there and seeing where she takes her reign, I guess, is really cool. And we get to see more of the infernal court, which is kind of like the parliament of hell i want to say but obviously it's more of like a royal monarch thing but that's so cool just seeing more characters from hell because it's not just um like people who get sent there to die like there's a whole like civilization which i would not have thought is a thing and now i'm wondering if if they're the same in heaven and if we'll get to see heaven in season four because they mention it a lot in this yeah i I love it obsessed (laughs) with the infernal court obsessed with the idea of hell as a bureaucracy and kind of those council meetings and the trials and all of the rules and regulations and the lore and the fact that it's very much implied in the previous series when Lilith sort of turns against Satan that she's essentially a woman who's been passed over for a promotion for years and she's done with it. But here, there's a few scenes in the first episode, I believe, where there's a nice parallel between Lilith not being taken seriously as the Queen of Hell, but also of uh, Zelda not being taken seriously at kind of the Warlock's Council, because both Mm. of them are women who have finally been put in positions of power. So there's kind of a nice parallel to them that I thought, and it kind of speaks to a lot of 
well, a lot of workplace culture. Yeah, it's like, yeah, she's on the throne or she's the high priestess, but she's not really on the throne. Like, she's not really the high priestess. Like, to them, it's just, yeah, she's got that position, but she's not really going to be a part of the work that we do. And it's, I didn't even think to, like, parallel them until you just said it, but now I'm like, wow, that's just so annoying. Just, like, listen to them. Yeah, that, I think it's Beelzebub. It's, like, the main guy in the court who does all the speaking, I guess, and all the kind of arguments. And every time he, like said something to Sabrina or Lilith like you you can't have a throne or you can't do that I was just like shut up Beelzebub who gave you the right just sit down it, it got so infuriating but in a good way like it was meant to do that I could feel one of the things that I love as well is that they the language and the dialogue is adjusted so every time they curse at each other they're like you know oh heaven forbid as opposed to or like go to heaven as opposed to go to hell yeah. something like that because <laughs> hell is the is essentially the head office that they work for and it's quite interesting because we unpack all of this mythology so kind of what are some of the things that really struck you about kind of this world that we get to see a lot more of in season three I think when um so I'm, I'm going to assume it's not a spoiler because it's in the trailer. Anyone who listens to this has probably seen the trailer. Um, Sabrina does at some point in the series, you know, take the throne. Hell's under new management. We've all seen the gif. It's great. Um, but when she kind of gets her hellish responsibilities, I was really intrigued by like what the queen or king of hell actually does. Like what is their job description? <laughs> and learn a bit more, literally learning a bit more about that and like the day-to-day of the uh, satanic royalty was really cool to me whenever we were back at like the academy or the spellman house I was just kind of like yeah sinews fest whatever send me back to hell <laughs> <laughs> so what does the queen of hell do well, her main thing is dragging people to hell and it's like booked by appointment <laughs> so I love she'll that. be like uh, it's so brilliant. They're like, okay, you've got to be here at this time with this person and you've got to escort them to hell because such and such years ago they made a deal to like sell their soul to Satan. And a lot of them do it for like fame or longer life or whatever. But eventually you've sold your soul, they come and escort you away. And like the main thing that she has to do is do that. And I think it's in the first couple of episodes where we see her kind of kind of wrestle with like do they really deserve it and then she meets someone who really deserves it (laughs) and I love the kind of switch there we see almost in her personality where she's like you know what maybe I am doing good work here maybe this is a good thing that I'm sending people to hell which I thought was very interesting when you could tell she was starting to think that it kind of forces her to grow up really quickly doesn't it because she's suddenly not just put you know in a in a really intense place of responsibility but which I think is a really relatable thing about the show is that every season, even though she's a teenager, she's forced into these situations that are way beyond the experience of a normal teenager, let alone, even, mm. a, even a half-witch. So we're very much led to believe that Sabrina is being put in situations that are not even that normal for witches. Yeah, not even like for teenage girls in general like I feel like she's responsible for everyone there's a moment in the series a lot further down where Zelda tells her oh you've you've always had a savior complex Mm. and I think it it really digs into kind of her increasing sense of responsibility for everyone as you say yeah and a lot of it you know I think that can be very relatable to people who maybe have had to deal with responsibilities that are larger than 
their experiences or you know growing up way too fast because of circumstances and things like that mm. um but you know a lot more fun because there's demons and hell involved yeah it's interesting because like a lot of these kind of teen shows tend to deal with these like regular things but when it's blown into the proportions of like the supernatural it's so much more exciting and maybe accessible too um it doesn't feel as like dark and confrontational it feels more like exciting and kind of mythical yeah she she has so much responsibility every season like I think Harvey, Ros and Theo like all of their lines are probably 80% crying out for Sabrina like Sabrina help us Sabrina what's happened what can we do and she's just like okay sit tight I'm gonna fix it and then they're just like left to sit and wait because Sabrina is the only one that can save everyone and I, I must admit it got a little it got a little bit tedious at points but we still love her for it. <laughs> How do you think Kirna Shipka's performance kind of starts to evolve in the season? I don't know. I think a lot of maybe, this is probably just me, but a lot of the nuance that is probably there, I think can often be overshadowed by the confidence I guess like I think I could I probably need like four hands to count how many times she declares that her name is Sabrina Spellman or declares that her name is Sabrina Morningstar or who she is or how how she will not be disrespected and and it's really really fun and great but it, it starts to feel a little bit one note at times um Interesting. but I, I don't know if that's just me or not though I, th- I kind of got a bit sick of that I was like we get it your name's Sabrina like get on with it <laughs> Which I loved in season one where she did the whole dramatic I will not sign my name thing. But I think here a lot of, um, I agree that this might be her best performance so far, but a lot of that best performance, again, I think happened in hell. Maybe Mm. with Lilith and during some of the trials and tribulations she faces. Um, But when she's with kind of her mortal friends, I think she slips back into that kind of one note, like I'm a teenage witch, woo, but all of the Mm -hmm. cool stuff. And the, and the kind of evolution of her character and the growing up that she does happens when she's out of that comfort zone, I think. Mm. And what do you think kind of about the way that her relationship with Lilith develops? I think especially in the first and second episode uh, when they're in hell. I was kind of surprised because at the end of the last season, I assume that her and Lilith were like friends now, that they, they were on good terms. But then um, for her to kind of go down to, obviously, the first thing she does in this season, we all know, is try and get Nick back. And when she kind of have to, has to confront Lilith, I was kind of surprised at the um, the kind of bad blood between them. I thought she'd be, like, welcoming and, like, oh, hi, Sabrina, how can I help you? But there was a lot of kind of um, fear or tension between them. And I imagine Lilith just kind of felt like Sabrina, no matter what, is still a threat to the throne as, like, royal blood. But um, Lilith looked really good up there. Uh, I think she would be an amazing queen and she was very comfortable in that chair, you could tell. Um, But she really knows her stuff and I think she's the kind of person who's um, not royally bound to the role but is the best for the role. Again, Lilith being sidelined despite being Mm -hmm. the best qualified person for the job. Yep. But she... Honestly, the first time we see her in that throne wearing the the vest made out of human rib cages mm-hmm. or, and that crown. Oh my god, um, that that kind of dress, the design on the chest reminded me a lot of the end of the 2018 Suspiria. Yeah. And I was like, yep. Yeah. 
you yeah. will see. <laughs> but also very Jean-Paul Gaultier in many ways. Well, I don't know, um, have you ever seen a film called Kika by Almodovar? I haven't, I don't. In that Jean-Paul Gaultier designed this dress for a character who's like a very garish TV presenter. And it's mm-hmm. literally a black uh, bodycon suit, but the breasts have exploded. So you just see this sort of designed red sequins with kind of sequin nipples. Oh my god. Everything else is just pure jet black. And it's I love it. unbelievably amazing. And you know, there's a whole bunch of other things. Like there's a headdress, there's like gloves and sleeves and a whole Morticia Adams like train, which is also meant to sort of mimic blood and blood spatters. But it was so out there. But then when you see it, you're like, well, I would expect nothing less of the Queen of Hell. So this feels very appropriate. Absolutely. I, I just love her like so, so much. And I can't even articulate it properly. I just love Lilith. Oh, Madam Satan. Sorry. <laughs> I Also, I just love Madam Satan as a job title. Uh, yes. I just absolutely love it. Um, okay, so I think we've been tiptoeing around a lot of the developments of the season. But I think... Mm for we, we should really dig into it now you know what must be done sabrina claim the throne save precious greendale your boyfriend So kind of consider this now a spoilerific section. We're going to talk about everything that happens in the series up to the very end, and a lot of shit happens. So we've got a bunch of stuff to go we through. We might be here for a good few hours. <laughs> like. <laughs> no holds barred. What do you think are kind of the repercussions on the other characters of, um, of Sabrina becoming the Queen of Hell? For the first few episodes, I, it didn't seem to, like, affect anyone. And then I realised that, like, no one knew. <laughs> like, it's really surprising how separate these worlds become. But I was, at first, I was just so, so surprised at how quickly we got there. Like, within the first, I think, 25 minutes of episode one, it was like, okay, we're in hell now. Like, we're doing all of this. So it, she took, like, Harvey and everyone there. And I was like, do you really want to be taking three humans to hell? Like, that makes <laughs> no sense. But, yeah, I really love that development. Um Especially, as you said, as we get on with it, it kind of becomes uh, a huge tension between them, especially when Zelda and Hilda find out. Mm. And when they do find out, I kind of realise how much of a big deal it was. Because, mm. I don't know, as a viewer, it felt like, well, yeah, of course we're going to hell. Like, it's really cool. But then you realise that, like, it's kind of huge. <laughs> like, it's not just an average day. And for Zelda and Hilda to find out and realise how much her goings on down there have put the rest of the coven in danger and Mm. literally everyone else uh, was kind of jarring. But I also agree that I really, really love that Hilda got her own kind of thing. When Dr. C proposed to her, it was, they're so cute. They're just so sweet together because like they just want movie nights and cuddles. And and I love that they both agree that they want like a quiet life and Mm. that there's, and it kind of realized, you know, there's nothing wrong with just wanting to get a cute house and a dog with your loved one and like grow old but the idea of that probably for Sabrina or Zelda would be right but but what's the point like I think both of them want this kind of success or recognition or this high and lofty role and it's interesting to see the contrast between the two sisters you know like they don't want the same things and they both need to accept that. Absolutely I just want everything good to happen to Hilda I was so happy when 
Dr. C proposed to her and her little face and that scene yeah. was just beautiful and Lucy Davis is just doing so much good work in the show um, she's just such a a balancing energy like her performance mm. brings such a, a warmth to every room every scene that yes. she's in and she really tones down I think some of the campiness in a way like I'm all up for campiness I love it I think kind of um, Miranda Otto goes really high octane with Zelda, which I think suits her character perfectly. You know, she's very, she's very type A. But I do love kind of that the dynamic between them becomes so much more emotional and generous and kind mm-hmm. of very, I love that Zelda's also allowed to be vulnerable in this series. Yeah. When she calls her Hildy, I just want to sob. <laughs> There's so much romance as well, which I don't know, at moments I felt like it was just distracting me from the real stuff, the really interesting mm-hmm. stuff. I don't know, how did you feel about all of the, you know, there's Sabrina and Nick and Sabrina and maybe Harvey and Theo and Robin and Dr. C and Hilda and um, Harvey and, and Ross and maybe Caliban. <laughs> I mean, play friends, like. <laughs> yeah, we need to talk about Caliban. But the kind of, uh, what did you think about kind of all of the, the heavy romantic stuff? Yeah, it was it was a bit much. Uh, I think I'd love to see Sabrina on her own. And I think we maybe nearly got there with this one. Mm-hmm. When she did that little kind of candle spell and kind of cut herself off from mm-hmm. Harvey and Nick, I was like, we, it's going to be so exciting to like see her stand alone. And then the whole thing with Caliban happened. But one thing about Caliban, right? <laughs> he's, he's gone now, right? He, he's he's yeah. done. That was that was his thing. So he's Wait, he's no, gone. maybe not. Because he was in, like, they, she put him in, like, that rock and, like, killed him, right? I don't know. I kind of don't want them to bring him back. Yeah. I want Sabrina to be alone for a little bit. She needs to learn to be alone. And I think she will do it with her family, but not with Nick and Harvey and Caliban and all these lads hanging about with their shirts off. Like, Yeah, stop. I think Sabrina needs to be single for a bit. Because, you know, Harvey is lovely and... I love the way, uh, I, I really do like him a lot more, kind of he's not as daft as in the 90s series, which I really appreciate, but he's going to keep her down. He's a small town boy. Yes. And yep. Nick is just, Nick is just a drama queen. He needs some time alone to like figure out all of that as well. Nick is a, Nick is a lot in this season. I mean, what 16-year-old hangs out with sex demons? They're supposed to be, like, 16, right? Yeah. All of the, like, nakedness and the sexiness, it did get a bit much. That scene with the sex demons, man, that was just wild. Everything with Nick in this season was wild. And there's some severe kind of, like, daddy issues that he needs to figure out between him and Satan. Oh, There's yeah. a lot to unpack. A lot. <laughs> there is a lot of stuff. I like the fact that they didn't just you know, brush off his trauma. Mm. So kind of when she brings him back, another show might have just been like, oh, he's back, great. Everything's cool again. And I think Sabrina sort of acts that way up to a point where she's like, oh, dandy, we're just back together. I fixed everything, great. There's a lot more shit going on with Nick. And Mm. credit to the show that they sort of go into the darkness. It is a bit, it is very extreme trauma for a 16-year-old warlock. I imagine, kind of, but we're sort of introduced to that side of Nick as well in series two, aren't we? Yeah, he's he's very, like, 
he's kind of got a very, very dark side to him, which is such a huge contrast to Harvey, which I think is what kind of makes those two sides of Sabrina mm. really kind of become apparent. But it reminded me, Nick's trauma reminded me a lot of, um, I know you did an episode on Buffy, which I loved, uh, but I can't remember if you talked about, uh, you know, the musical episode in series six, yes. which is the best episode of Buffy of all time. Once upon a time with Billy. Um, yep. Oh my God. I have it on vinyl now. It's gorgeous. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> But there's the whole thing with her in that episode, with Buffy specifically, is that she was dead and her yes. friends brought her back to life and they think it's all well and dandy. But you don't realise what you go through when, like, you know, Nick went to hell and was dealt with Satan and Buffy, like, died and went to hell. And now they come back and they're not the same person. Yeah. And I think it's very, very good that they kind of explored that because you're not going to be the same person, especially when he does that huge speech in the forest. I was like shaking because mm. you could see that performance. He was just going crazy with it, like proper all out. And about when he kind of like broke down what actually happened to him in that speech, I was mm. like, oh shit. Like he literally was like Satan's plaything, Lilith's plaything. He couldn't speak, he couldn't move. And it was like decades. And I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, he really went all out there with it and kind of, you know, he made it very explicit. It's like, you have no idea what I put myself through and what I've been through. And there's no way anybody can know. So it's it's a lot to process. I'm not saying he was doing it in the right way, but what is the right way in that situation? Especially, yeah, he's a teenager. Like, what everyone's got to sort through their feelings in some way and I'm glad they at least let him do that even if it wasn't obviously healthy I'm glad they let him figure that out Nick always stood out to me because he never I know that none of these people are teenagers but the rest of the actors sort of look like they could be you know maybe 19 very yeah. early 20s the guy who plays Nick looks all of 28 um he is an adult he's always flexing I found that very irritating. It's like, calm down. You're in a shower by yourself, washing your clothed hooth foot. Like, you don't need to flex so much. I always found it really distracting because he did look and behave like such a worldly adult on yeah. the show. So it was kind of, in a way, kind of nice to see him be a bit more vulnerable and a bit more um, tender in a way, even though he then just went off to have sex with sex demons as of kind of that very drama queen thing of, you know, oh, I just need to fill my time with booze and drugs and sex demons because I went through something very harsh. Yeah, I felt a lot of the, the drug aspect of it felt quite um, a bit of a cop-out. You know, when someone goes mm. through something in, like, films or TV and they're like, obviously now they're going to get addicted to drugs. That's just what people do when they go through something. Mm. And it just feels like a very easy thing to have a character do which I kind of felt a bit like it could have been a bit more not creative but just not that straightforward like you don't just go through something and immediately become an alcoholic mm. like that's that's not like the thing that happens and I thought that was very interesting especially when Satan obviously offers him those two separate drugs and he like takes them and overdoses mm. and I was just a bit like I don't know man but ever since that speech in the forest Nick's story kind of felt like it came to a bit of a head in this season especially yeah. oh, when he turns around to Sabrina and he says like you know I did that all for you and then there's like this pause and he says and you weren't worth it and I was like oh my god oh that was chilling absolutely yeah, chilling I a moment I had to like pause it and I was like oh my god 
I know. And Sabrina's oh, teenagers. <laughs> Sabrina's face. I mean, it's very, you know, it's very Buffy. It's very the OC in that yes. point. You know, it's very high drama. But I loved it. It's like, oh my god, how dare you? She went to hell and back for you. She literally became the queen of hell just so you could come home. Yeah. Like, think of all that responsibility now. <laughs> but I did love afterwards when they when they break up and Sabrina does not take it back and she will take none of his shit. She yep. gives him a whole nother speech. And literally, I wrote it down because it's my favorite line of the whole series, <laughs> which is, you got high, freed the Dark Lord, and then passed out. And if that was not a put down to any dude <laughs> who was getting in your face... About you being too much. I love that because Sabrina's like, listen, I have no time for your drama. I need to hell to run and a coven <laughs> to save. And my friends are in trouble again. And you just got high and caused a lot of shit that I need to fix. That's it. She's always like picking up after him. And he makes out like it's all her fault. When it's like, no, she's the one solving all your mess. I love that. But then we also get Caliban. Mm-hmm. Another <laughs> shirtless boy <laughs> who titles himself the Prince of Hell, and then Satan doesn't know who he is. He literally just let him call himself the Prince of Hell. I'm like, do you have royal blood? No. Just because you were made from the soil and clay doesn't make you royalty, son. <sighs> I I kind of hated Caliban. I have to admit, like he irritated me every time he was on screen. <laughs> Yeah, um, I felt like he was just another boy for Sabrina to get romantic with. I feel like every season we have to get one. It's like Harvey in season one, Nick in season two, Caliban in season three. But I I like that at least she had a bit of a challenger. Like, hell wasn't Mm -hmm. too easy for her. Um, (laughs) But it was still, it just kind of felt like another cog in the machine, like just thrown in to just pose some challenges rather than an actual character. Mm -hmm. Like, his entire characterization was I'm shirtless, I am Caliban, here I am. Like, he had nothing else to offer at all, except for, you know, flirting with her a bit. I don't know. I'm glad he's gone. I hope he stays gone. Yeah, same, because I had a big issue with, well, at the beginning I was like, oh, he's just another buffoon from hell, except for some (laughs) reason he looks like an an underwear model and he's always shirtless and he's got Mm. very nice hair. But I was like, okay, so he's a challenger. He's a foil for Sabrina and he's, you know, evil by numbers. Great. But then when he sort of transports himself to the school and he sort of starts flirting with her and he proposes marriage to her and, you know, he's wearing the sort of the surfer bro clothes, which are Mm. way too small for him. And (laughs) I was a bit like, wait, you're not, you're not a nice guy. You're literally a demon made out of clay all you want to do is trip up Sabrina so you can get the throne. You're in competition, but a f- good few episodes are spent sort of shifting his character to this good guy persona. And then, yeah, it's a bit weird, that. And then it's suddenly completely gone. And he betrays her once again. And I was like, well, that was very quick and none of it made sense. Kind mm. of as a character. Because at least with Nick, we've got you know, reasons for his, you know, when he develops and he sort of grows and he falls in love and then he's going through all this trauma and deals with it in one way or another. But Caliban is like, I'm very evil, but I kind of like you. Oh, no, I'm evil again now. And then I'm gone. Yeah, like what happened to them having that little chat about maybe an an alliance Mm. through marriage? 
But then he's just like, mm, no, nah, I changed my mind. I'm going to trap you in this rock for a decade and the whole town will be destroyed. Like, yeah. It all happened very quickly. It was kind of like a bit of whiplash. Yeah, I thought he was fun, but just a bit unnecessary, maybe. Yeah, I think he... If if they had stuck to Caliban as, a, as an antagonist, mm-hmm. as opposed to a potential love interest, I would have been like, yeah, fine, that's that makes sense. But I think it's the, the trying to make him into someone Sabrina might have a relationship with that I found very strange and kind of didn't didn't give either of them enough time to actually properly develop that. Yeah, I feel like it's just like a rule of thumb that every hot boy in this series has to have a thing with Sabrina. And it's I, I really hope it ends soon. <laughs> well, except Robin, who's also a new love interest, uh-huh. who falls for yeah. Theo. And I was so happy for both of them. Yes. I was really worried at first when there was that little bit of a reveal that he was a bad guy. And I was like, oh, great. This trans character doesn't get a healthy relationship. We love that again. But then it all like turned around and he like left them and they were so happy and cute and they were nervous and in love. And I just, I just loved it. I love them both so much. Me too. I had the exact same feeling of, oh no, they're going to put the trans character who they've dealt with beautifully so far they're going to mm. make him suffer. Why, does, why is this always the narrative? And then they genuinely fell in love and they were so cute. And, you know, Robin had his, his little hobgoblin ears. Yeah, I loved it when he, like, revealed that thing that a lot of people would think, like, oh, there's this weird deformity or problem. Um, and he was like, that's so cool that you're a hobgoblin. And I was like, I love that. <laughs> Just that whole conversation, that whole scene, I really liked the their reaction to each other and their acceptance. And it was just, they just looked at each other with such love. I have to say, I really think that this season, the friendship, maybe because Sabrina is sort of out of the high school, but the mm. friendship between Harvey and Theo really got a lot more space. And I love that because, you know, the kind of, the conversation about virginity and sex comes up a lot in the series and yeah. you know there's a very iconic montage of sex scenes to an arctic monkey song which oh, yeah. i literally had to stop because like, <laughs> this is... i just heard that first guitar note and i was like here we go <laughs> <laughs> but like there's a very very tender scene right between theo and harvey when they talk about Theo wanting to ask out Robin and Harvey giving him advice and Theo giving him advice about kind of maybe taking things to the next level with Ross and how he feels about their relationship. And it's just so very sweet and honest and Mm. straightforward. I was like, I don't think I've seen many scenes like this between kind of male characters of that age. Yeah, definitely. I I like what you said about it being straightforward. Like it was just two pals sitting down and kind of airing their feelings at the moment and it was just so simple and nice and they just these are friends that have such love for each other that they were just like yeah well how about this or we could try this and your relationship could be better with this and stuff and also another thing about the whole obviously virginity and sex being a big part of the season I really liked that it was Roz who was like interested in taking it to the next level and Harvey maybe not that he felt pressured by her he kind of felt pressured more by himself like living up to what she wanted rather than it being like the boy wants to have sex and the girl's feeling a bit timid about it mm. I really like that kind of like flip um because that's not usually what you see I guess mm. 
Although I do think that kind of also fits with Harvey as a character because I think it was yeah. in the previous season because there's that scene as well where Sabrina sort of pounces on him. Yeah. Um, but no, I agree with you. I like the fact that it was um, Roz is very, also very honest as well about kind of her feelings of, oh, are you, am I always going to be second best to Sabrina? Yeah, she's not afraid to just have those conversations. With the show, kind of with the mortal world and her friends in Greendale, um, do you think it, it, do you think this series helps that and the witch world and how merge a bit better together because of the arrival of the pagans? You know, what, I th- I think yeah, especially towards the end because. There's, when they kind of have their final showdown, I guess, with the pagans, you can really see the mortal world coming together with the witch world. And it's not just Ros, Harvey and Theo following Sabrina about. It's Ros, Harvey and Theo having an active part in the kind of ongoings of the coven and that group. Like, um, there's a shot, I think, where Prudence whips out her really badass swords and I think she passes one to Ros and they, like walk out of shot, like, ready to fight. I'm like, yes, make friends with them all. Sabrina's not just your rock anymore. Like, everyone is here to support each other. And you could tell that that was, like, the start of kind of maybe a merging of the Academy and the mortals of Greendale. And especially just with some of the relationships in general, like, Theo being with Robin, who's not technically fully human, is another sign of that Mm -hmm. kind of coming together and Dr. C with Hilda as well. After Hilda's been a bug and tried to kill Dr. C, when she comes downstairs thinking she has to say goodbye to like his dead body and he's just sat there in his cocoon and she and she's like, oh, I thought I tried to kill you. And he's like, oh, well, he didn't try hard enough. And he like gives her a hug and it's all okay. And I was like, I love them. <laughs> Honestly. I love how okay he is with it. It's so, so sweet. They're so... I love it. They're so easygoing in their relationship. I was like, I just, I just want a whole spin-off of just you, yes, watching movies, singing songs <laughs> around the piano, having a lovely time. Oh, I want to see them get the part in Sweeney Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to see that performance. I hope they just do like just this, just like a YouTube video just for the fans of those two in Sweeney Todd. <laughs> yes, yes, please. And um, kind of, what did you think about the pagans in general? I actually thought this was really interesting because the whole time I was really enjoying it, I was like, there are pagans out there and I'm wondering if they're going to be with it or offended by it. And I couldn't help but think about what pagans are going to think. Because I know that that's still like a thing. Like there's a lot of pagans who like practice today. And I remember the uh, occult, I think, got really angry in the first season about one of the statues that was used and kind of how that was... Uh, portrayed and now I'm just really interested in everything they start to portray that's real Mm. I'm always interested to hear the responses from the people who practice paganism and stuff but I did think it was really interesting and really freaking scary like that group of people genuinely terrified me in the beginning um and I think it was largely due to the performances of like the central three Mm -hmm. like he was so menacing (laughs) just the way he looked at people with you know villains are scariest when they're like slow in like video games or horror movies and stuff because you know that they know that they don't really need to chase because they're gonna win yep and it's that kind of like just standing there observing because he's fine he doesn't need to be frantic and thinking of ideas because he's he's good you know what I mean yeah Um, that is what I find most unnerving about villains I love the fact that he sort of played 
the lead of the pagans as kind of a cult leader. Like he had mm. very intense sort of Manson-esque vibes where, you know, he would zero in his attention on you. And that could either go in a brilliant direction or he murder you. Yeah. They were just, like, what they did to Roz and everything, it, Every the, the stakes felt so high because of them. Everything they did to each character felt so final, like, irreversible. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, the snake lady, how she, like, sheds her skin and uh, Roz turning to stone and it's, and uh, when you found out Robin was a part of it, I was like, okay, you know, we don't stand a chance. Like, the stakes genuinely felt really high. And I've actually not been this scared like Sabrina did I never found Sabrina to be a scary show in the past two seasons but this time it really did feel that way yeah I agree with you it had like very serious wicker man vibes mm -hmm. but also I did find it a slightly confusing um in the sense that I kind of wonder whether there's something that I'm missing about the wider mythology but they refer to themselves as pagans so it's known as pagans and that's a very specific thing. But then they're also gods, and kind of the leader of them is named as Pan, the god of mayhem. And mm -hmm. the snake lady is referred to, kind of when she first started turning people into stone, I was like, oh, she's Medusa. Because if he's Pan, then she's Medusa. Maybe they're all gods who, I don't know, have like fallen from grace or something like that because people don't pray to them. So I'm making up all these theories in my head. And... And then she's a Gorgon. And I was like, oh, okay, but they're also worshipping another god. So there's kind of a wider variety of deities there that I'm a bit, I was a bit kind of, oh, there's, there's a lot more going on here. And I don't know if it's sort of an entry point into something bigger, into an even wider mythology of kind of multiple gods, multiple yeah. devils. Or whether it's just sort of mixing and matching and doing a bit of a pick and mix of classic mythology. It kind of felt a bit menacing at the start because the first couple of episodes, and I think even at the end of the last season, a lot of this kind of talk of, oh, the old gods are coming back kind of came about. And especially in episode one, a lot of people, like even I think it's Blackwood and Satan and stuff, they're like, the old gods are coming back and they're going to like reclaim their land. And you kind of assume that that's what these guys are. But now that you like kind of broke it down, I'm like, huh, it does sound like a bit of a pick and mix because they wouldn't be worshipping gods if they were gods. But also, I don't know if it was worship so much as they wanted to bring back the green man to like join their ranks or something. But the way they kind of took over the world um, was a bit absurd to me because they wanted to like live, obviously, and kind of have this new new world, this this new civilization the kind of idea of this new civilization was just destroying it and everything dead and I was like well what's the point like you're not living in this new world you just destroyed it and left it and I thought it was a bit interesting yeah and I love the fact that they're never really defeated you know they just sort of yeah oh we'll move on to the next thing we'll move on to the next village I was like, like this is going to keep happening to other towns and it's quite scary <laughs> but we need to talk about the Back to the Future thing. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so what what did you think about the whole time travel solution to all the issues in the finale? I think it's um, a bit of a clue 
that Sabrina maybe hasn't grown up as much as we think she has. <laughs> like, that's still very much a teenage solution. I don't think it's going to last. I don't think it's a sustainable solution to her problem. But it was very, very cool. Also, didn't quite make sense, but I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> I feel like a lot of this series, like the last few episodes, a lot of it is very confusing, very convoluted. But the sheer kind of, I don't know, the sheer kind of confidence it took to just do it. I'm like, I'm impressed and I'll let it go, you know? Hmm. I watched the last two episodes twice now. I'm going to watch it again. And I can't wait for more theories and breakdowns to come out to really mm. dive into it because time travel for me at least time travel is always fun to watch and it's even funner to that is not a word sorry and it's <laughs> even more fun to unpick and kind of try to poke holes in it yeah and I'm sure there are holes but in a way I think they've sort of left that for the next series at least I hope so because you know Ambrose is the kind of the sensible character in this series who really freaks out when he finds out about the time travel thing because he mm. can see all the problems and ramifications of something like that that Sabrina does not think of. And I was like... Yeah, and I love that the first thing she says to, like, her twin self is, yeah, Ambrose would tell us not to do it, but he's not here, so it's fine. <laughs> You're so right. Yeah, I know. I love it. And it's kind of... um. I mean, they've now made physical the kind of the two sides of Sabrina. Yes. Which mm -hmm. I found quite interesting. Like her much more ambitious, I want to rule hell side. And her, I want to be a teenager and date boys side. Yeah, it's the two sides that she was trying to make one in season one. But now they've separated them physically, which is a very interesting thing to do in light of, you know, the next season. Mm. But one thing I really liked is that they let her admit that she wanted to rule hell. Like when she says, yes! you know, you, you want to a little bit. And she's like, yeah, is it bad that I want to rule hell? And I was like, yes, girl. Oh, my God, you said it out loud. It's not like, oh, I have to take the throne because my dad needs me to take the throne and everyone needs me to do this. But no, it's like you, you're allowed to want that power and that position. And I think it's so cool that they finally let her say it in the last episode. Yes, she wants to be the queen because I want her to be the queen. I so agree with you. And it is really rare for female characters to be allowed to express ambition that seems too big for them, if you know what I yeah. mean. And I kind of it makes me a bit sad because I love Madame Satan so much as a character. Yeah, it's bittersweet. But I do also love kind of the kind of the, the tension that it brings up, the fact that you know, Sabrina could have just really abdicated and given the power over properly to Madame Satan, but she doesn't yeah. because she wants it. And we wait kind of the whole series to hear her admit it, but it's always there in the in the relationship that they have. Yeah, like she never just says, I'm going to abdicate and give her the throne. She, it's always the queen regent. It's always advisor. It's always, you can do all the work, but I get to sit on the seat, you know? Um, and I love Madame Satan, like, with my whole heart, and I think she was brilliant in this season, but I really, she was sidelined, like, a lot, and I think she deserves a lot better, but also I want Sabrina to have the throne, so I don't know what to do. I'm in a rut. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most heartbreaking things for me was when, I think it's in the last episode, it might be the penultimate one, 
But when Madame Satan goes to Zelda for protection from Satan, and Zelda rebukes her, and Madame Satan is like, because in the previous, at the beginning of the series, I think in the first episode, we see Zelda's coven pray to Madame Satan. And mm. it's quite like an overtly, you know, this is a big thing that they're praying to the Queen of Hell. Nobody else knows who's in charge of Hell except them. It's a, it's a coven with a high priestess that's never existed before. It's like it's very, you know, female focused. And Madame Satan seems so moved by the fact that people are praying to her. Yeah. And i so heartbroken by that moment where Miranda, Miranda Otto of Zelda is like, what good did it do us to pray to you? Like, get the oh fuck out God. of here. Devastating. Yeah. It's like, give her a chance. You know, you know what's been going on in hell. Like, you've, you've spoken to Sabrina... All of this stuff is happening, and Satan's back. Like, what, what do you expect her to do? She has so much to deal with. I, I just wish she gave her a chance, but also I know that that's not what Zelda's going to do. And kind of going back to Zelda, she kind of finds the solution to the coven losing their powers, doesn't she? You know, mm-hmm. What do you think about her big epiphany moment? Um, I was a little bit confused for a lot of it but I really liked it uh, it was like she kind of was in this limbo being guided by her brother and such and and kind of shown um pieces of her life that made her make those connections that being a woman what I took from it is that like all the stages of being a woman is what makes uh us powerful um and I thought it was really cool because instead of it just being like this beautiful, ambitious Madame Satan kind of vision. It was, uh, I love that they included the crone and I love that they used the word crone uh, because obviously when we hear that word, we think of like an old kind of like hag or something. But to put it in this context, what what was it? Maiden, mother, crone. Like the three stages of witch, a witch's life or womanhood even if you want to parallel it. Um, I thought it was amazing because it embraces the old as well, which I feel like, we never do in like media film tv we we really don't like older women for some reason mm. uh, and they just kind of like reclaimed that and that was like this is where we're going to get our power from and i thought that was so cool especially watching that happen and then watching sabrina like take her rightful place as queen and madame satan kind of like pass that on to her and dress her and just this whole community coming together and i thought it was especially interesting because when she was doing that whole epiphany thing and that huge speech in the graveyard uh, the women were around her holding hands and even Roz was in that circle Mm -hmm. like it wasn't just the witches it was just women because you don't need to be a witch to have the power that a woman has and also the boys watching on and even Ambrose tearing up a little bit like I love that they kind of stepped to the side and let them do this and I just love that the boys in this in this world are so supportive and it's so nice uh, but yeah, that moment gave me goosebumps. It was great. Great speech. I love the fact that Zelda was like, she's kind of, a, again, a very Buffy moment because yeah. Amy invokes the powers of Hecate when she's about to be burnt at the stake in like season mm. three. And Zelda summons Hecate again. And I love that bit where she says, we had forgotten you, but you never left us. 
you kept showing us the way you kept supporting us like we swear allegiance to you just we won't forget you again which i thought was such an interesting kind of commentary about erasure and kind of how female stories and voices and experiences are often sidelined because they're not considered important enough it's it's you know it's a magical way of bringing up those ideas i thought but you know at the expense of madam satan which is unfortunate yeah that's the kind of thing like everything you just said was so true and so amazing but it, and then i just remember like oh but lilith yeah. I don't know if you saw, um, I don't know if you watched Doctor Who, but there was a recent episode where the Doctor, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor, went back throughout history due to some like time travel loop thing that was going wrong and she kept appearing in different time periods, but she kept meeting women um, from history, like real life uh, women in history. I think there was Ada Lovelace and another character whose name escapes me, but she was like the first British spy in Nazi Germany or something. Um, she was a woman of colour. And it was so exciting because these are real people and I'd never heard of any of them. And mm-hmm. the doctor was like so excited to meet them all. And I think I tweeted, I was like, this is like a history lesson of all these women of history that I don't know. And we never get taught about in school. and We never get to read books about. So like, thank you, Doctor Who, for bringing them up, because that's not what we get taught that's not what we learn in schools we don't learn about these incredible women who aided medicine or aided um incredible technologies i think lovelace had something to do with the first ever computer yes. and i was like but that's not the name that you associate with computing you associate a man's name i can't i don't even know what man but that's not the point and i think that yeah what everything you said about that erasure is just in- incredibly eye-opening especially when you put it through that supernatural magical lens mm-hmm. and it's like whoa Wow. Yeah, and it's interesting as well that the maiden mother crone stages mm-hmm. um, of a witch's life, of a woman's life, right? As you say, kind of all of those together, and the diversity of witches that we see on screen in this series as well, and I think even more so in this season because they sort of summon the witch rejects. To a degree, Mm. you know, they kind of bring them all together to be able to recover the coven's powers. And I thought that was kind of like quite a powerful moment of let's rethink the rules about why these witches were banished and why we need to stick together despite maybe not practicing magic in the same way or maybe not being the same type of witches, which was a lot more of kind of breaking down those systems that had been put in place around witches that were created by men kind of to control them in many ways and i think that's a lot of zelda's journey of kind of realizing that that church of night that she had been a part of for her entire life maybe that's not the way forward and of her understanding that and embracing kind of the different stages of her own life of the people closest to her, the witches closest to her, and the different types of powers. I just thought, you know, you don't really see that on screen very much with women, but definitely not with supernatural women or with witches, because you always get sort of the the crone of the hag or the kind of seductive maiden, kind of sexy witch type. Yeah. Very seldom do you get a mother witch at the end of the series the whole finale is them sort of working together yeah and this whole realization that there's not one way to be a witch in Mm. the same that there's not one way to be a woman yes 
and I just love it so much. They really like hammered that home in this season. I love the amount of time we just got with all these incredible women witches, especially uh, Morzelda and Hilda. After everything they've been through these past two seasons, under like the subjugation of men and Father Blackwood and Satan, now coming together here and sharing their abilities and their ways, it's just so incredible to watch and really rewarding. I wonder, what did you think about uh, Mambo Marie, who's sort of the voodoo priestess who gets a lot more screen time and attention in these series and is kind of their way of, um, of I think, bringing in Catholicism and kind of voodoo practitioners, which, you know, we, I talked quite a lot about kind of whether we can even refer to voodoo practitioners or hoodoo practitioners as witches in mm. a previous episode and I find that kind of quite an interesting dynamic and I was really intrigued when they brought in this character of Mambo Marie onto the show. Yeah I, I think I, I did really like her. I thought she had a very uh, a loving energy that she brought to the coven even from the beginning when um, Prudence and Ambrose came to her for help and at the end when it's kind of discovered that Prudence called her um, I, I really like that because I feel like Prudence has found uh, a maternal kind of figure in her and she really admires her ways and to bring that in to kind of just say that look there's other ways that we can be witches and be women and we should learn and accept from other people and just like her energies in general she feels like Hilda's level of love but a bit more like confident and sassy mm. <laughs> I did really like her and when we first met her in New Orleans it reminded me a lot of American Horror Story Coven mm-hmm. where we go and meet um Mary Laveau. Yes. Uh, I, which I loved. I love Coven. That's one of my favourite seasons. But that's what I felt. That's the vibe I got at the beginning. And then obviously kind of integrates that more into the witchcraft that we know of Sabrina. But yeah, I think she shows promise. I like her. I'm glad she's stuck there now. I reckon she'll become like a teacher at the academy and stuff. We've actually got an episode of American Horror Story Coven coming up in a few weeks. And I talk a lot there about Mary Laveau. And I think it's not too far-fetched to say that Mama Marie is probably inspired, if not based yeah. on Mary Laveau, who's kind of was a real person, a real woman, and a real kind of practitioner and community leader in New Orleans in the 19th century, and probably kind of the most iconic name associated with voodoo. She's very much kind of a, a touristy attraction in a sense. I mean, obviously not her as a person, but kind of, you know, there's uh, tourist shops called, you know, Mary Laveau's voodoo shop and stuff like that and her grave is one of the most visited ones in the city I mean she left and lived an amazing life I'd be really keen to see whether they develop that side of the what the world a bit more whether we get to see the maybe the the world building expand to the pagans the gods heaven the voodoo practitioners Kind of how many more ways of magic are there that we're not familiar with now that sort of you know the rules of the church of night are broken yes i would love 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 to see a bit more of uh hell's relationship with heaven because how how if the balance is off in one realm it's off in all the realms so if there's a problem in heaven it means there's a problem in earth there's a problem in hell so they must work together to some extent but i would be a bit hesitant because I, I wouldn't want it to be like the good place and the bad place and it to kind of be this like 
funny relationship where the angels wear like normal clothes or something I, I would really like it to keep that kind of gothic supernatural extravagance but I'm very excited at the idea of going to heaven that is <laughs> one thing I will definitely say I would love to, I'd just love to see that especially um with Sabrina on the throne I reckon she'll do something in terms of like building a better relationship with the other realms mm. I think that's what she'd want and also with the voodoo I'd love to see um more of that I don't know if it's more it's, it's as much as a community as the coven and so I don't know if they have like a coven but I don't want um Mambo Marie to be the only one yeah I'd love to see more. I think yeah I think that would be the the saddest thing that could possibly be done that Mambo Marie is the only voodoo priestess she does refer mm -hmm. to herself as kind of the voodoo priestess of the fourth ward which makes me suddenly think oh does every ward have a different voodoo priestess and kind of yes. there a I'd love them all to be friends I would love <laughs> them all to come together and be like oh how's your ward doing oh my ward's doing great <laughs> <laughs> well I mean you know Marie and Zelda do become more than friends which oh my god that that one shocked me I don't know if I was just not picking up on the kind of the chemistry, but that came out of nowhere for me. Um, did it come out of nowhere for you? Because I read some reviews and they were like, oh, the chemistry was palpable. And I was like, am I missing something? I mean, I have to admit, it was very much there. It was very sizzling. And I think a lot of it came from kind of how Zelda felt so insecure and kind of worried, I think, to a, to a degree about Mama Marie's presence. Mm -hmm. and then started warming up to her because she's so charming and so alluring and so convincing but also very strategic and very smart I think that's also kind of a, a much cleverer nod to Marie Laveau who was extremely smart and very very strategic about kind of politics and how to work people and how to get the best out of people for her own gain and her community's gain and I love that Mamma Marie kind of really earns the trust of Zelda. Kind yeah. of in you know, with air quotes here sort of professionally, kind of as on a witch level, on a practitioner level. And then that really makes I think Zelda soften up to her romantically and kind of really mm. embrace that that chemistry is not just them being women in, in leadership in a way, a kind of women who are ambitious and powerful and ready to do what must be done, but also kind of let herself be led by a different form of leadership than the ones she's seen before. Yeah, just like her opening up to like breaking out of her routine, I think is really important. And as much as I might have missed the chemistry, when that moment happened, I was very here for it. <laughs> I, I could very much see an incredible power couple forming in the next season or so and it's about time we got some lesbians up in here so I'm here for it also I'm just very glad that Faustus Blackwood is out of Zelda's life yeah can we please just get rid of him altogether? what did you think of his whole thing this season because I just found him so boring and annoying and every time he was on screen I was like no I just, I just didn't want him there <laughs> you know what he reminded me of Warren from Buffy Warren is the the guy who's kind of present throughout a lot of the early seasons, but is the one of the main antagonists in season six. He's the one uh -huh. responsible for the big unspeakable tragedy that happens to Willow. And the reason he's so scary is because he's such a misogynist. Like he hates women so much. Yeah. It's so ingrained in his being. 
And I think Blackwood in this series became a lot more comical to a degree because he just sort of lost it. The fact that he was not in a position of power anymore, the, the fact that he was sort of banished and kind of he just went mad with rage and kind of went off on a sort of more campy villain vibe. But one of the things that always was underlying in his character that made him really scary to me was the fact that he very deeply in his the core of his being really saw Zelda and every other woman as beneath him and beneath all warlocks. Yeah, throughout season two, that was really, really unsettling. Like, in a good way, obviously, because that's the whole point of it. But it was truly terrifying like when he made that kind of like boys club and mm-hmm. he put these new rules in that um there was magic to be allowed on campus but only by the warlocks never by the witches and stuff like that and the way he treats his own daughter is mm. it is really terrifying but i think in this season we kind of opted for bigger villains and bigger monsters and he kind of felt more like a dumb little man i guess that's what it felt like for a lot of it and it got really boring for me personally (laughs) after the first few episodes because obviously uh, we left Ambrose and Prudence last season um, off on their hunt to kill him for all the horrific things he had done and after we kind of dealt with that and Prudence Ambrose came home with that weird egg um, (laughs) I was like okay so Blackwood's done let's just we put Satan in him let's leave him down there sorted that's a real I thought that was a really good move was using Mm -hmm. him as the Flesh Acheron, it made perfect sense. But then, you know, he went to like the pagans, and he, when we did the whole time travel thing, he had his own thing going, and he talked about was it the Eldritch Terrors? Mm-hmm. I don't think I understood what that was. I, is that like his own religion thing that he started with other kind of gods or magical beings? He's so addicted to authority because I don't think yeah. he ever had power. I think he was really threatened by power. Which is also, I think, one of the reasons why he hates Sabrina so much and antagonizes her so much, because she's clearly much more powerful than he is. And part of it is also kind of confidence to a degree, because he never radiates authority. He needs the systems around him to represent authority. Yeah, he needs the titles and he needs to yell. Like when he becomes the anti-pope and the high priestess, like he just, he wants to call himself these things so people will take him seriously. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, he needs the association to an institution of power in order to feel powerful because he isn't in and of himself. Yeah, I think I I remember I watched like um, the last episode of season two before this just to kind of remind myself of what happened. And there was even a scene where... um, I think Sabrina was speaking to him in office with like, uh, not the Infernal Court, but it was the the High Council of the Coven who had come. And she called him Father Blackwood while she was speaking. And he was like, he interrupted and he was like, remember, I'm your anti-pope now. And then they were like, you're the interim anti-pope, remember? (laughs) Because he needs, he needs that permanent title and he needs people to acknowledge it when they're speaking to him so he can have that power. And it is very interesting when you consider that the whole thing of him being a villain and him being scary is literally just him having power over everyone around him and his constant subjugation of women. Mm-hmm. It's it's really terrifying, like, just talking about it and how he treats them. Absolutely. I'm really glad he gets what he gets. Yep. Yep. 
just to wrap up, do you have any favorite moments or did you miss anything from this series that you wish there was a bit more of? I think in terms of favorite moments, I'm just going to say all the musical numbers. <laughs> and also, actually, no, my number one favorite moment of the whole season was when she went to get an ice cream from the ice cream van after everything we went through with the horrible ice cream van man whose name I forget. And he's like, you know, he thinks he's got one up in her. He's like, mm, I made my deal with the Dark Lord and you're not the Dark Lord. But then she's like, mm, hell's under new management now. And then her muscle, that really scary looking, oh, the body horror and the creatures in this is so incredible. Yes. But um, that guy, the bodyguard, he comes in and, and it's set in flames and he gets dragged down to hell and she just kind of skips off licking her ice pop. And I'm like, yes, yes. That whole scene just sums it up. That really does. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that scene. <laughs> I also love the scene, uh, like I mentioned before, where she where she gives her speech to Nick. But and mm. this is a bit of a silly one, but I've always missed the the talking cat. I've always yeah, missed Salem. <laughs> Salem was always there, but I always miss kind of sassy talking Salem, which I guess is too campy for this version of Sabrina. But I love. There's one scene where well, there's two scenes. There's one scene where Sabrina takes Salem to confront the pagans. And I was like, what is he going to do? <laughs> what is Salem going to do when you're going off to, you know, defend Greendale against these maybe gods, maybe monsters? Like, just distract them by looking cute. But then <laughs> there's also another scene where I think it's, I think it's Zelda talking to Prudence. I'm misremembering it because I remember just focusing entirely on Salem and he's <laughs> in Prudence's lap and she's sort of stroking his head and talking, has this very intense conversation with the other character and all I could see was Salem sort of having on her lap his, his little paws crossed in front of him and kind of nodding as if he was participating <laughs> in the conversation and it's like, that is the biggest scene you'll get, buddy. So I'm just going to zero in on you because this show needs more of Salem. Yeah, just give him that screen time, like, show the people what they want. We want more cat. And <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked quite a bit of, like, our expectations of season four, but is there anything you're looking forward to in the next series? I'm really looking forward to seeing how the whole two Sabrina thing pans out. I reckon we'll get into that very quickly, considering how quickly we got into hell this season. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, with the reaction to this season, what I hope is that the showrunners will see how much the kind of speed is a good thing, I guess, um, like getting into it really quickly and getting going. And I reckon that's what's going to happen next season as well. And just like seeing how her reign is going down in hell, you know, like, is she actually being a good queen like we hope she is? Is she making a difference? Is her reformation of hell going well? I'd love to see that for her. <laughs> also, I want to see Caliban stay dead. That's, that's another thing. <laughs> Sorry, no offence. <laughs> no offence to the actor who plays Caliban, but... Yeah, because I'm a bit concerned, right? Because on Instagram, they've all got very pally. And the actor who played Caliban, I think his name is Sam, they're all, like, best friends now. And Kian and Shipko sharing a lot of um, Calbrina content, is what she's calling it. And I'm like, stop it. Stop teasing it, because I don't want it, okay? <laughs> Nobody wants it. Please be gone. Stay dead. Yeah, I'm not a fan of him either. Amazing. Thank you so much for all of your time and your amazing insight. How can people find more of your work online? 
Um, well, you can find me on Twitter at Millicent on Film, uh, and also go follow Screen Queens at Screen Queens with a Z for because that's the site I edit, and you know, lots of women talking about movies and TV. What's not to love? Thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Also, go watch Sabrina, everyone. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> And that's it for another episode of the Final Girls podcast. Please do rate, subscribe and share your vintage Salem quips with us on social media. You can find out more about what we do on thefinalgirls.co.uk and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at thefinalgirlsuk. You can also follow Millicent on Twitter at Millicent on Film and I am on Anna B. Demented. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more witchy goodness next week. <laughs> <laughs>